You're listening to The CX Show, conversations on customer experience presented by SaleMove. I'm Julie Aronson, marketing specialist at SaleMove, and welcome to The CX Show, SaleMove's podcast on customer experience. Today, our CEO, Dan McKaylee, speaks to Shep Hyken, the founder and chief amazement officer of Shepherd Presentations, a management consulting agency that helps clients develop a customer service culture and loyalty mindset. In this episode, we talked to Shep about his book, Be Amazing or Go Home, which talks about easy-to-follow habits for organizations that want to provide outstanding customer service. We'll also discuss his loyalty formula and how good service plus consistency equals customer loyalty. And finally, we'll talk to Shep about what he believes the future of customer experience will look like. So without further ado, here's Dan and Shep. Welcome to another Another episode of The CX Show. In each episode, we speak to a senior business leader whose role relates to customer experience, and we dive deep into specific projects or tactics that they've employed to improve CX. Today, our guest is Shep Hyken. Shep is the founder and chief amazement officer of Shepherd Presentations, a management consulting agency that helps clients develop a customer service culture and a loyalty mindset. He also is a true titan in the world of customer experience and a sought-after speaker. It is really an honor to have you and to welcome you to our podcast, Shep. Well, thanks. And I don't know if I've ever been referred to as a titan before, so uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it, sure, it sure is. It sure is. So you're, you're an author, a speaker, and an advisor to many companies. Uh, what is keeping you most busy presently? Where, where are you spending most of your time today? Wow. Well, today I'll be talking with clients about upcoming presentations. Uh, There's three areas of our business, and one is I speak. I'm traveling all over the world talking to clients about how to create amazing experiences for their customers as well as their employees. Uh, The other side, or two other sides, is uh, you mentioned books. I write books. I am currently writing a book called The Convenience Revolution. It's actually, the book is finished. It'll be, it should be out October 2nd. I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, it's all about, I think everybody uh, talks about great service. We want knowledgeable people. We want helpful people. We want friendly people. And I think all of that's extremely important. Those are, I mean, the, the, those aren't even nice to haves. Those are have to haves. And then there's this other level that not a lot of people are talking about these days, but they don't, but they've been doing it for years. They just don't realize the importance of it. And that is to be the most convenient company you can for your customers. And uh, the third part of our business uh, beyond the books and the speaking is that we have trainers that go out and deliver my content at a much deeper level. And we also have online training that goes along with that. So that is, uh, that's what I'm keeping busy with. Excellent. Well, c- congrats on the new book. I-, I-, I hope that we can actually maybe tease a little bit of the content here on the podcast today. It sounds very interesting. I am, I am <laughs> ready. It is so front of mind. I don't know. I don't want to read any more because I've read it so many darn times. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, so I wanted to take a step back and ask you a question uh, that has been on my mind uh, for, for you specifically, which is, how do you define customer experience, but how does it specifically compare to customer service? How do you distinguish between the two and, and define those in your mind? So that's a great question. I'm asked it all the time. And if you would have asked me maybe 
five years or so ago, I would have said customer service is a major part of the customer experience. As a matter of fact, most companies would have said, maybe even a little bit further back than five years, is that customer experience is customer service. It's just another word for it, but not anymore. Customer experience is every single touch point or mental image that that customer has of you and your company. And if you think back to uh, if you've ever bought an Apple product like an iPhone or an iPad, you open the box, and the cool factor of just opening the box is part of the experience. Uh, when you call them for support, that's part of the experience. But now we're crossing over into what's true customer service, which is the interactions that people have. And by the way, service is not a department. It's a philosophy that is to be embraced by every employee of a company. So it's interactions that you have from people to people. And it could be at any time. It could be as a result of, I have a problem, I need help. Or it could be part of the sales process. Can we sell in a way that people feel really good about working with you? So service is really about interaction. Experience is about all of the interactions beyond personal in interactions with humans as well. If that makes sense, hopefully it does. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. And, and I guess one, one sort of corollary to that is what, what do you think prompted this change in definition, right? What, what, what led us to start referring to CX as a different area than customer service? What happened was that that I would say the rock star companies in the world of service and experience at this point uh, just just elevated what customers' expectations were by the way they treated the customer and recognized all the different touch points beyond even the interactions that that humans have. They said, mm -hmm. let's 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 do something. Uh, I'm going to use the word special, but let's do something special that stands out, that's unique, that makes people that validates their decision to want to do business with us. And by the way, that's what customer experience should be. Service and experience, and, and we use sometimes those words interchangeably, every, every point that a customer interacts with you, your company, your product, or whatever it is that you do, even if you're not personally involved, it should be validation they made the right decision to want to do business with you in the first place. So if you want that to be, uh, I mean, that is a huge, big picture view of what should customer experience be. So back to your question, you know, why is it so prevalent today? It's because the rock star companies that are out there set the bar high, and that's, and that's the way they've described it. I think that's great. And, and you know what else? I, I, I consider that, or I've been thinking that it's also technology that has shifted that definition, because I think... Those rock star companies now have a visibility into the customer journey and into the customer experience that they never have had before. So I think that that has allowed them to sort of broaden that definition. Right. They take advantage of everything that comes their way. Uh, I was just talking earlier this morning with somebody about the concept of, of knowledge and what let's just talk about it from a support center point of view. Uh, knowledgeable reps in a support center aren't just knowledgeable about the products that they sell and can answer questions or deal with complaints. 
they're also knowledgeable about their customers, which means that uh, if you call me and I'm supporting you, I can not only answer the questions, I can make suggestions. I could take a look at your entire history and know that, you know what, I've got another product you need to know about. And if I don't tell you about that and if I don't ethically upsell you, and I use the word ethically on mm-hmm. the front end of that because I don't want somebody selling me just something to, to make an extra sale. I want somebody selling me because it's the right thing that I need. And if I'm not doing that and I'm the customer service rep, I'm not giving you good customer service. Right. I think that goes back to one of your one of the habits that you mentioned in your book, which is the proactive habit, right? Right. Being proactive in that new book, uh, Be Amazing or Go Home. Absolutely. I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great it's a great book. And as a matter of fact, that's our featured project for today. So maybe we should dive into that now. Uh, sure. Absolutely. So I, I want to say that I really enjoyed the book because it provides some very concrete, easy to follow habits, right, for organizations that, that want to that want to provide outstanding customer service. So it 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 comes more in the way of, of these guiding principles. And I think they both apply to management as well as the frontline staff, you know. So I'd love to I'd love to. Uh, could you tell us and our listeners why you chose to write this book? What did you hope readers would get out of it? Sure. And let's let's say that this book is, you know, I mentioned The Convenience Revolution, which is a book coming out this October. And The Convenience Revolution is like all of the other books I wrote, except for this one, Be Amazing or Go Home. The Convenience Revolution and Amaze Every Customer Every Time, Cult of the Customer, The Amazement Revolution, Moments of Magic, all of these are true customer service books that are, uh, you know, either how to create the culture, how to get employees into alignment with the concept of service and experience. And they're very much, uh, I'd say, some level of strategic and some level of tactical. Well, this book's a little different. Uh, And I'll tell you what drove me to write the book in a moment. But what I liked, uh, by the way, I will be honest that I published, uh, when the book was published last year and I turned it into the publisher, I was not sure I would like the book when it came out. And I struggled with it. And actually, I sat with the darn thing for almost two years before I let it go off my desk. And that's because it's different. Actually, if you take a look at the habits, and and there's 35 habits that are broken down into seven major buckets, if you will. Uh, So that's why we broke them down into like seven main habits, but underneath them are a bunch of other little ones that drive it. And it's really – uh, it, it's great for service, but it's really great for any relationship you have with anybody. These are the ways you're supposed to treat people in business and your personal lives. It's really a matter of respect at the end of the day. So yeah. um, why did I write this book? This is a great story because this is habit number one. Amazing people uh, show up ready to amaze. And what was happening is our mantra here at Shepherd Presentations is to always be amazing. And I know in the introduction you said, hey, he's the chief amazement officer. So we like to use the word amazing a lot. And always be amazing means we want to be amazing to people that are here. We want to be amazing to our clients. And we want to teach our clients how to be amazing to their customers, clients, members, whatever they want to call them, guests. And that's that's our whole mantra, be amazing. So my assistant was coming in late every day. It started like all out of the clear blue. She shows up late. Now, one day showing up late is not a problem. The second day she showed up, I wondered, what's going on? Third day, it's like, I'm going to have to have a sit down and talk with her about what's happening. And on the fourth day, we did. And I said, 
I've noticed that you've been late to work every single day. What's going on? She says, well, I moved. And I said, you did, because she was two miles away from her office. Now she's like 25 miles away from her office. And she says, I'm just struggling on trying to find out you know, uh, how long it takes to get here in the morning. And, I, and she says, I keep leaving earlier every morning. And I said, well, number one, you're looking at it the wrong way. You shouldn't try leaving earlier every morning. You should leave really early in the morning and then work your way back up. <laughs> so you might show up here 30 minutes too early. Well, then leave five minutes later the next day and let's see where the traffic you know, starts to hang you up. Anyway, I said, let me ask you a question. You're my assistant. You represent me. Everybody here, you're an extension of me. So people here look at you. If you show up late every day, you're given permission for everyone else to show up late. So what's our mantra here? She says, to always be amazing. I asked, is showing up late every day amazing behavior? And she said, no. And then I thought about it, and I was really reluctant to say what I was about to say. But then I said, well, you have a choice. You either need to be amazing or go home. And that's a pretty hard thing to say to somebody. But I was not happy after four days in a row in her explanation that she gave me of, hey, I'm leaving earlier every day. And she looked at me, and we had a great relationship, and she smiled. And she said, you know, you're right, but you need to write down that because that is a great title for a book. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how the book came about. And I said, look, this is a habit that needs to be broken. And I realized at that moment that all of the things we do, when it drives the customer experience, at least from the human-to-human side of things, it's a habit. It's good habits that we have. Habits are formed sometimes early in our lives. Sometimes habits are formed due to what we learn and what we're trained to do when we get, when we get to our jobs. But it's all a habit. And so I started thinking about what are the great habits, and boy, I came up with a hundred of them. And I said, yeah, but that one sounds too much like this one. That's a pretty soft one. Let's make sure that, you know, people can clearly understand what these habits are. And if they practice one of them, they're going to be a little bit better. If they try to practice more of them, if not even all of them, well, then they're going to be rock stars. Right. No. And I, and I think that you distilled it, you distilled it really nicely. You know, they're, they're the habits uh, that you've listed in the book, you know, the, the being, being ready to amaze, being proactive, uh, you know, we can, we can kind of run through them. I, I, I'd love to hear, you know, in a hypothetical world where you could only develop one of these seven habits or wow. which one would you suggest that a company focus on? If you could, if you could narrow it down to one. <laughs> Boy, that's like asking like which of my children, <laughs> you know, and, and and I'm not and I'm not married uh, to them at that level, and I'm not emotionally connected. One of my very favorites, uh, by the way, what I just shared with you is one of my favorites because I think that's yeah. Well, it's not just punctuality. It's if you read, there's different there's different um, habits that tie into being ready to amaze. Being here at eight o'clock in the morning, ready to go to work, is different than showing up at eight o'clock in the morning. Right. Lombardi and, time, as you say. <laughs> well, Lombardi time, which is the second habit, is about being early, you know, and and Lombardi used to want all of his players to show up 15. And by the way, people who don't know who Coach Lombardi was, he was a famous football coach. And you don't have to like sports to appreciate this concept. But his concept was, I want all of my players to show up 15 minutes early to practice. And if you show up on time to practice, 
you know, if practice is at three o'clock in the afternoon, you show up at three or 15 minutes late. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was getting his people into the good habit of making sure that, you know, they're not rushing to just walk in the door, that they show up 15 minutes early, they sit down, they're mentally ready to go. And I think that was kind of a cool concept. If you go to La- uh, the Lambeau Field up in uh, in Wisconsin, in Green Bay, where the Green Bay Packers play, the big clock uh, is always set to Lombardi time. People who don't Love know, that. Go, why is why is that clock wrong? Love that. <laughs> so, but but I think that's an important piece is you don't just show up, you show up. So one of the stories we talk about in the book is, I think it's in the book, I know I've written about it before, is the idea that um, my one of our trainers, Buddy Rice, great guy, he's our master trainer and facilitator, great speaker. He used to run the, uh, what are the, now considered, the, uh, they're called the Sky Zones, uh, or the Crown Rooms is what they used to be called for Delta Airlines. All over the world, he was the senior executive in charge of all of these uh, private clubs where the higher-end flyer who paid a membership fee would be able to go in and, and have sanctuary from the hustle and bustle of the airport. And one more, and by the way, they were open at like 5 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning for the early flights, whatever time it was. They were, that's what time they were supposed to be open. And Buddy showed up there one day, and the door was locked. And within a matter of a minute or two, uh, the employee showed up. And so she was one or two minutes late. But she really wasn't one or two minutes late because when she opened the doors and the people started to walk in, she hadn't logged into her computer. Right. She hadn't done anything that allowed her to truly be open and ready at 5 or 5.30 in the morning, whatever the opening time was. And that's a great lesson there. But if you want a favorite lesson, I have a couple of favorites, but this is a good one. It's the final uh, lesson in the seventh habit, which is amazing people habitually focus on excellence. And uh, let me get to it because I want to give you the quote. Um, Martin Luther King uh, had a great, great quote. Let me find it here. Uh, and the, the chapter is called Sweep Like Beethoven Plays Piano. So uh, here is the Martin Luther King quote. Exactly. Okay. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, mm-hmm. he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And the point of that is it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter if you're the guy that streets the sweeps, picks up the trash, or if you're the executive at the biggest company in the world. Do your darn best. So when people walk away and they look at you, or maybe they look back at you and they look at your life, they'll go, there lived a great whatever it is he did, took or she, took pride, uh, did it well, and somebody, you know, and that's because it's, it becomes a habit. It's something that's in you. It's something you are. It's something you always are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it reminds me of a story also about that the construction, I I can't remember where I heard this story, but the the construction worker that's building a a church and taking pride in building the church because simply because he wants, he he sees it as a passion rather than a job, you know, Uh, rather than laying the foundation, laying the bricks is taking taking that and trying to be excellent at it and finding the passion in their work. Right. It's more than just laying a brick. It's you're creating a place where people are going to come and be there for some of the most important times of their lives.
Absolutely. You know, I was also thinking about which my personal favorite was, and I, I think that I really liked number four, which is sort of who it, looking beyond who is right and who is wrong and taking ownership. And the reason is because I feel that that not only leads to better service, but it fosters the other habits as well. Uh, and, I, and, and, and every time that I have an experience like that, uh, I, always, I always walk away feeling inspired when, when, when there is an opportunity to take the opportunity, as you put it, is sort of making a problem into an opportunity to show how good you are, right? So I, I really like that one because I think that it, it sort of creates a lot of the other habits that you were talking about in the book. Well, you should own it. I mean, if, if one of the if you've got a let's just look at it from a customer service standpoint. If somebody comes to you with a complaint, you don't want to hear, "Oh, um, it's that's not my department," or you don't want to hear somebody, you know, I, "I just bought this last week when I was here, and it doesn't work." Well, why are you upset with me? You're, you're, people obviously need to understand that when a customer is upset, they aren't upset with the person. But for the person to say, I understand you're upset, but you know what? <laughs> I wasn't even here last week, so I can't help you. That is so not the attitude we want. Ownership is, hey, you came to me. It may not have been my fault, but now it's my opportunity to show you not just how good I am, but how good our company is. This is the way we do it. There is a five-step process when there's a what I call a moment of misery or a complaint or a problem. Now, I'm getting in the weeds and giving you something very tactical here. But when you have a complaint, five things should take place in order to uh, eliminate the problem and not just solve it or resolve it, but also renew the confidence the customer has. And, and many times you can restore that confidence to a level that's even higher than if the problem never happened if you think about these five steps. And by the way, it's really, when you start to think about it, common sense, but why isn't it always so common? Number one, um, you must acknowledge that there's a problem. Number two, you must apologize for it. And you can apologize or acknowledge in either order, I don't care. And then number three, you have to resolve the problem or discuss what the resolution is going to be. Sometimes you can resolve things on the spot. Sometimes they take a long time, but they need to be resolved, and the customer needs to feel that, hey, this is something's going to happen. Number four, and this is to the ownership piece, the attitude you must display is one of, I own this. I'm in control of this. I am here to help you. You may, in fact, have to pass off this situation to someone else, but it's the way you do it and the way you retain communication with your customer. You might say, hey, I, I'm so glad you're telling me about this. I'm going to actually hand you off to the expert in this area. Now, here is my phone number. And if you have any further problems, you call me. And by the way, can I get your phone number? Because I'd like to follow up with you in the next day or so to make sure that you are taken care of. I mean, you do that, that shows you own it, even though you're passing it off to someone else. And then your, your fifth step is to do it with urgency. So acknowledge and apologize, resolve it with ownership and urgency, those five steps. That that is that's a beautiful plan on handling the smallest of complaints and sometimes the largest of crises that happen in companies and organizations. So those five steps. Anyway, ownership is part of that. It's number four in those five steps. Right. I really like that framework. I think, as you mentioned, it also ties actually to uh, beyond the world of customer service, just to how, how to how to handle difficult situations in life, acknowledge, apologize, resolve, attitude and urgency. Right. Yep. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's a it's a great framework outside of the uh, outside of our world as well. And that um, ties in. 
By the way, uh, the sixth habit is about amazing people turn moments of misery into moments of magic. And mm-hmm. I use that. I use. I like to. Use, you know. Once again, I use words like amazing, misery, magic, <laughs> and magic isn't like you know like a David Copperfield blow me away with a magic trick. Magic is just a positive experience that a customer has. Although you do have some experience with magic, as I remember, as I recall. I do. <laughs> I, I started out my career at 12 years old as a birthday party magician. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so I want to I want to shift gears a little bit here, Shep, and ask you another question uh, about customer expectations. Okay, mm-hmm. so so what do you what are your thoughts on how customer expectations have evolved over the last decade, and how does that tie to the concept of amazing a customer? Sure, and similar to what we talked about at the very beginning of our show here is that the expectations higher because great companies have created a better expectation of what customer service should be all about. So customers are smarter than ever before. I believe it was well over 20 years ago when an award that was uh, presented by the White House, the, you know, the President of the United States, it was called the Malcolm Baldridge Award, and it's an award of quality and excellence. And what was really interesting is that there was a lot in there about a company, and a big portion of this award was focused on customers and the experience they had. And uh, that, what would happen is you would start to see TV commercials uh, with Federal Express, and, and now it's FedEx, and Cadillac, and different companies saying, we're proud recipients of the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award. And now today you have uh, J.D. Powers, you know, uh, number one in customer satisfaction according to the J.D. Powers survey. You know, you're proud of these accolades and these awards. Well, when you start advertising that you're doing this or that you've won these awards and that you're recognized for this, you better be able to, you know, it better when the customer has an experience with you, that's what it needs to, Yeah, it better be the real thing. And so what's happened is customers started to become educated about what good customer service was and who the companies were that were delivering it. Now, that was many years ago. Well, what's happened over time is that customers now know. I mean, they have been trained. We've been promising for years. We've got the best customer service. Well, guess what? Back it up. Do it. Don't. It's not just lip service. And now what happens today is that customers no longer compare you to just your competitor. They compare you to the great service they receive from any other type of business in or outside of your industry. You may be compared to the guy that just sold a customer a $25 pair of shoes at a department store. But that that person that helped that customer was knowledgeable, helpful, found the best you know shoes at the best price, the best value, all of the things that go into a great experience. And now this customer is dealing with uh, perhaps a um, uh, uh, a vendor that they buy from in their business and they're going, why can't this person I'm talking to, the inside sales rep of this company that I'm getting ready to buy you know, uh, $100,000 worth of product from, why can't they be as nice as the person that sold me the $25 pair of shoes? Mm-hmm. You know, So that's what's happened. And I know that's an oversimplification, but that's the way it is. Great companies have set the bar high and, and companies need to recognize that their customers expect that they're going to deliver a level of service. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody has to match. You know, if you're in a certain industry, you don't have to necessarily match what is being done out there. It, ideally, you would, but 
you've got to you've got to recognize the bar is raised. So what do you need to do to exceed expectations of this customer? I don't want you to be the best dog in a horse race. I want you to really step up and say, what do I need to do to differentiate myself from competitors? What do I need to do to give this customer the experience that they want? Now, Let's jump off uh, kind of in the same world, but I think it's an important concept to think about. Harvard Business Review uh, wrote an article about something that happened to Walmart. Uh, Walmart studied uh, and asked their customers, what is it that you want in their stores? What would you change? And the customers say, you know, well, it would be nice if you had a little better lighting, maybe a little cleaner store layout, you know, easier to navigate, you know, wider aisles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the different – I don't know what all of the ideas were, but what Walmart decided to do is create a couple of concept stores based on what these customers wanted, and let's see what happens when we do that. And they went back to the customers and said, so what do you think now? And those customers are going, wow, this is great. Their satisfaction's rating – ratings went up. But guess what did not go up? Sales. Nothing changed financially. Now, now we're in a, an interesting place. We could give them better service, but better service is going to cost us a lot of money. And, you know, at what point do we see the value proposition? You've got to balance it out. So I don't want everybody who's listening to this to think that if I don't give the best service, I'm going to lose everything. No, you've got to give a level of service that meets, but even better, at least because if all you do is meet, you're really opening yourselves up for competitive issues. But if you can exceed the customer's expectations, even just a little bit, but you make it consistent and predictable, you're going to basically own that customer because they would be able to say, I love going to do business with them. They're always friendly. They're always knowledgeable. They're always helpful. It's the word always followed by something positive that makes customers want to come back because what you've just done is you've established a trust. They know what they can get. They know they're going to get it that way every time. And when you, they start to trust you, that leads to hopefully repeat business and uh, customer loyalty, which is very coveted and, and excellent to have. Right. And I think it ties into the, your loyalty formula, right, that you mentioned in the book, which is which talks about consistency. And I guess that's the concept that was that I, that was going through my mind as you were speaking about the about customer expectations, this concept of consistency, because, you know, on the one hand, organizations can strive to provide these amazing experiences. Uh, and on the other hand, they can focus on I mean, maybe they're not mutually exclusive. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I guess. What is the difference between focusing on making something consistently good versus making things amazing, right? Or is make or or is really making things consistently good equal to making things amazing? How do you think about consistency in the, in the equation? Well, and I think you've said it already. I mean, you, you've given us the answer. There's an old saying that people want to be around people or do business with people that they know, like, and trust, and. Um, I just did a speech on this the other day, and, and really I focused uh, – the speech was – they said, would you take your customer service content? We're, we're talking to top salespeople in our organization, and we want to talk about values and trust because so much of what we value and what the value proposition is for our customers is in that customer service area. And so how do we get them to want to trust us more? And And here it's almost simple. Number one, uh, values are really who you are and what you're about, and trust is what you create. So the knowing and liking and the people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust, the knowing and liking ties to values. 
I'm going to get to know who you are. Let's take it at a, at a company level, a business level. You know, you've made a promise to me, and that promise is through the advertising and the marketing and the uh, even the reputation that you have. Uh, as I start to learn about you, I might even be on website. I might be reading, a, you know, some of your core value statements that, hey, I want to align with this. That's good. So now I'm starting to know you a little bit. And I kind of like what you're promising me. And when I start to talk to your people and these people are living out that, that those values and actually delivering to me what I'm expecting, now I'm liking it, right? But the trust part's a little bit harder. The trust part takes time. And by the way, you know, we're here in the United States and we're in North America. And I believe that here in the North, North America part of the world, we start to know and like faster than other parts of the world. There's some skepticism. Uh, and by the way, that's that's not good or bad. It's just it's a fact. It takes a little longer for people sometimes to feel comfortable as we do doing business. So we're a little, we're a little bit that way, and that's okay. The trust part, however, how often does somebody have to come back before they realize this is an all the time thing? This isn't a fluke. And when that happens, that's when trust is there, when it's predictable and consistent. And I, I call this, I wrote a book called The Cult of the Customer um, quite a while back, probably about 15 years ago. And one of the most important cults or places, there's five cults of, of the company, is the cult of ownership. Okay, And ownership is fourth in the fifth of the five cults. The fifth, by the way, is the cult of amazement, where every single time I do business with you, I believe you're amazing because you do what you say you're going to do. You promise it. It happens every time. It's consistent and predictable. So uh, that's, where, that's where that comes in. So the loyalty formula, for those that want to know, it's very simple. It's just great service plus consistency equals potential loyalty. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, 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 and I wanted to touch on something that you were mentioning there about the people doing business with people, right? Uh, one thing that, that I think comes to mind for a lot of people today is when we hear that statement is the concept of automation, right? Uh, so how do you reconcile the concept of people that want to do business with people along with the tendency to want to automate customer service today? So there's this, there's this new thing that's happened over the last few years, this digital experience. The digital experience, some people think of as just, and but that's a pretty fancy word or phrase, digital experience. But if you go onto a website, you're going in for a digital experience. When you buy something from Amazon, that's an, uh, you know, an e-commerce, uh, an online sale or a digital experience. But what's happening today in customer service is going beyond just interacting with the website. It's now I'm calling the company, and I'm not necessarily talking to a human being. Or maybe I'm going online, and a little you know window pops up that asks, can I help you? And you start typing, and you're interacting with it could be a person. Well, five years ago, it probably was a person. Today, it could be a machine. It could be a robot or, or, or a computer. They call them chatbots. Okay. Everybody knows what a chatbot is. So somebody comes in or the little thing pops up. Can I help you? You type out, yes, I'm looking at buying whatever. And then all of a sudden I get an answer. So the best chatbots, those are digital. But when they recognize that there is a question that they don't know the answer to, or maybe it's uh, the customer has expressed some confusion, and by the way, a good system will recognize the customer doesn't understand the answer, will seamlessly switch over to a human being. 
The chat bot is best used for I need to change my address, I want to change my billing statements, uh, you know, or, or credit card. Um, maybe if I'm a bank, you know, can you help me uh, find out what my balance is? Can you tell me when you know my next bill is going to be paid from this account? Whatever. Those are pretty simple, basic functions, and chat bots are best used for that. But you can't, you know, there needs to, you need to be very careful if you're a company. If you start to rely upon them so much and there's mistakes that are made and the experience is not in line with what you've always wanted the customer to experience, you need to pull back. Uh, I was on uh, a website of a computer manufacturer, and I'm looking to buy the docking station for my uh, – it's actually uh, – it was for someone here in the office – a docking station for the portable laptop computer. For those who don't know it, that's where you come in, you set your computer into this little uh, area, it, it clicks in or you plug it in, and now it's connected to your keyboard and your big monitors, and it's as if you know it's a regular computer with all of those nice things as opposed to just working off the laptop. So it pops up, and my question was, it says, can I help you? The, the chat bot, you know, little box pops up, and I said, yes, does the, uh, does the docking station charge the computer when you put it into the docking station or do you have to hook up a separate charger to it? And because a lot of docking stations don't charge computers. Some do. Like mine here at the office, mine does. But the one I was getting ready to buy for the other computer, it didn't say. And this is the response that the chatbot gave me. What computer do you want to buy? Okay, so I must have worded this question the wrong way. I do not want to buy a computer. I want to buy the docking station. Does the docking station charge the computer when you put the computer into the docking station? And the answer came back, what computer do you want to buy? And I go, right. okay, we're done here. But let me tell you where it gets worse. I, I get off of that. I now pick up the phone, and I call the number at the bottom of the website, and I get somebody that says, uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of the company, but they ask me for my account number. And I go, well, I know I bought from them before. I don't know where what my account number would be. And she said, well, I can look it up by your phone number. And, and I said, okay. Um, do, you, do you have caller ID? I just asked that. And she says, yes, I do. Well, then you can see what phone number I'm calling from. Can you see my account number? She says, sir, you need to tell me your phone number. Okay, I did. And then she says, here's your account number. Why don't you write it down for future reference? Okay, I did. She says, and what do you want to buy today, or what, what can I help you with? And I told her, she says, let me get you to the right department. Sent me to somebody. The phone was picked up pretty quickly. I was very happy about that. And what do you think the first question this person asked me was? What's your account number? What's my account number? <laughs> Come on. I mean, really, is it that hard to create a system that doesn't require the redundancy and what Ultimately, that's a little thing, but imagine, that's like repeating my story over and over and over again. And I thought to myself, well, they failed now on a couple of three different levels. You know, um, They failed on their website, their digital, and, and, and then what happened is when they, they didn't treat me like a person. They treated me like I'm an account number. So lots of little lessons to be learned there. But what's happening today uh, with the digital experience, and I just came back from a major conference called uh, Think 2018, uh, and that was with IBM's big conference on chatbots and, and uh, artificial intelligence. And, and what's really interesting is uh, the CEO, uh, Jenny Rometty, said that 
and, and she said last year was a great line. She says, if you take AI, artificial intelligence, and you flip it around, it becomes IA, the intelligent assistant. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be replacing uh, the human-to-human interaction with 100% digital or artificial intelligence interaction. No, what, what we should be doing is using artificial intelligence to make us smarter so that we can give customers a better experience. And I'll give you an example. Um, and she talked about this last year, but I think it became becomes even more crystal clear this year as she emphasizes that AI plus humans make everything smarter. Okay, because the AI at this point, there's no emotion to it. It's all just straight, you know, black and white, you know, very down the middle. But the human element allows you to have the relationship. It allows you to interpret the information better. So here's, if you think about AI, most people think of, okay, I'm going to go on. I'm going to talk to a machine and the machine's going to give me the answer. But what if you didn't talk to a machine? What if you talked to the customer service rep? And by the way, we're talking about higher level issues beyond you know change of address we're talking about real issues and what if that machine that computer was listening to the conversation that the customer was having with the rep and rather than giving the customer the answer the machine is on a screen giving this the customer service rep the answer to tell the customer in a way that can be told uh, that best reflects the actual issue, the sentiment, the context of the problem, and everything that might even be, in a, uh, if you want to try to call it an emotional connection, but done in such a way that's humanizing to it, not, not just straight up you know, artificial intelligence. In other words, that AI component is supporting the customer service rep, not necessarily the customer. And that's when it really gets exciting, because imagine when that machine says, not only are we going to give the answer to this customer, let's take a look at who this customer is. How often did they buy? What did they buy? When did they buy? And you know what? Listen to this question. That's the same question that 2,000 other customers have asked that are exactly like this customer. So I'll bet the next question this customer is going to ask is, fill in the blank, and that customer service rep can start answering questions that the customer didn't even know they were going to ask. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Or how about this customer is exactly like a bunch of other customers, and you know what they buy eventually? So why don't we make that suggestion today, why they should buy this product, that it's going to be a value to them, that it's going to make their lives better, easier, whatever. And now you have that ethical upsell that we talked about. Um, So I think that uh, AI really is supporting. Uh, so uh, she even used the word, instead of uh, flipping the word, she said, let's stay with AI. Let's call it augmented intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's the right, that's exactly the word that we use. I mean, that, you know, you, you, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly how we think about it uh, in our business. And it, it allow it, using AI to augment a, an agent's capabilities and contextualize, anticipate, and deliver the right answers at the right time, avoiding some of the, you know, channel switching that you're talking about there, making things much more seamless and smooth, and essentially just supercharging whoever it is that you're communicating with, right? And and sort of fielding the more simple inquiries, but then for the more complex ones, providing that uh, providing that assistance. That that is exactly how we advocate for it. So I'm glad we're in agreement there. <laughs> well, that's why you had me on the show. 
<laughs> <laughs> well, I was curious how you were going to answer that question because it, you know, if you go back to it and and you look at people doing business with or people like doing business with people, there is there is this tendency today to to want to automate, and uh, I, I think there are parts of customer service that should never be automated, right? There there are just it's there's simply some areas where automation, as it as it is today, are not sufficient is not sufficient. So I think that automation is a tool that should be used or, or AI is a tool that should be used for the agents to make them so, much more effective with, with their customers and practice some of these habits that you're talking about the way to, you know, being, being able to be proactive, you know, and anticipate and anticipatory. I think that's, that's where it can get very interesting. So thanks yeah, for your thoughts on that. Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. I'm glad we're in alignment. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. You're immersed in this every single day. This is what you do day in and day out for your company. So I'm this outside guy, and I'm getting bits and pieces of information from lots of different resources. Now, my mind is of uh, the mode of, hey, I'm, and I'm constantly, when I'm talking to folks like you, I'm in a research mode. I'm in a mode so whatever I'm learning from you, I can take and share with others. By the way, if I don't agree with it, I'm going to find out why I don't agree with it. That doesn't seem right, so I'm going to go and do a little research and digging to find out why is this bothering me? Why does this particular company doing it this way, uh, why is that a problem? Or why is it good? So I'm constantly looking and learning from gosh, if not dozens of other companies, hundreds of, and even thousands. Plus, I read a lot. I just, you know, every day, um, and this is one of my habits, as is I'm probably 15 to 20 articles a day I read on the topic of what we're talking about. So I'm getting lots of information from different angles and interpreting it uh, and hopefully uh, simplifying, synthesizing and simplifying the concepts so that others can understand it. Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, I think, like you said, you identified 100 and you know, some habits that you wanted to distill down into seven core habits. And I think you did that uh, amazingly, no pun intended or Thank pun you. intended. <laughs> um, so I wanted to I add, pun. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned what you're, you're reading. And actually, that leads into my my lightning question that I wanted to ask you is, what are you reading currently and what would you recommend to our listeners that they could that they could read when it comes to customer experience or just in general? Okay, well, I have a book in my hand right now as I sit at this desk that I just received the other day. I, uh, this guy, Joey Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, wrote a book that actually is out right as we speak today, Never Lose a Customer Again with a subtitle, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. So I first ran into Joey when he did this speech probably about two, three years ago uh, called uh, The First 100 Days. And I since saw, and that, that audience, by the way, there was maybe 100 people in the audience. I saw him last year do the speech, uh, the same speech, for 4,000 people. And it was even better than the first time I saw it. I thought, boy, when you scale it out to that big, you know, am I going to really feel like I've learned a lot? This guy gets it. He understands that what happens once a customer decides they want to buy, what happens next is all about validation. It's to make sure that over the next 100 days, and he believes that's a magic number, that you do things over that next 100 days to validate and confirm that the customer made the right decision, never even worries about buyer's remorse because 
you know, we just feel really, really good about doing business with these people. And that's what this book is about. So I was so excited uh, when I heard about it. And actually, you know, I have a podcast, Amazing Business Radio. There's that word again, amazing. And I just interviewed him for that. And he's just such a sharp guy. And I love this book. Never lose a customer again. Excellent. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm most definitely going to pick that up. It sounds, it sounds very interesting. Um, so, uh, so Shep, I'd love to wrap up with one last question today. Uh, okay. you know, what does the future of customer experience look like to you? Well, the future, it's pretty exciting. Uh, the future is, uh, customers are going, well, first of all, companies are going to get better at what they're doing. Uh, the expectation of providing a good CX or even good service is higher than ever before. Companies are investing in it. So I think from the customer standpoint, they're going to be very, very happy. Uh, there also, there's so many different ways to communicate with a company, and we're going to start seeing many of these ways, different channels, whether it be, you know, traditional, the traditional, traditional way was I need to go in and see the company or write a letter to the company. Uh, then it switched to, I'm going to call the company. And believe it or not, that didn't happen all that long ago. It was probably in the 1970s and 80s when phone calls and support centers really became a bigger, bigger. That's not that long ago. And now, you know, you had email, but now you can go through all these different social channels. So you're going to start seeing lots of different ways that, that come, that, and we are in that point where we do have a lot of ways, but what's happening is it's going to be seamless. It's not about omni-channel or multi-channel. It's about, hey, it's just getting in touch with us. And I think that's going to happen. Sure, technology is going to be strong. In the next couple of years, we're going to see uh, chatbots and interactive uh, work with computers getting so good that we won't really know the difference between humans and uh, a, a true you know, a machine. And I think that's probably positive, especially for the lower ends. People are worried, gosh, what's going to happen to all those jobs? Well, when they built the ATM, they were worried that there would be no more tellers in banks. Guess what? Tellers are just doing fine. Uh, the ATMs did not kill the tellers uh, and uh, video did not kill the radio star. Right. And ultimately, ultimately, when you when you think about um, the the, the the curve will shift, right? So the chatbots will handle the simpler inquiries, which will lead to more complex inquiries going to the human agent, right? And so ultimately, those are where you want the agents focusing on, where they can deliver that true human connection to 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 deliver value beyond what a, an automation capability can do. Right. Right. So I think that's where we are. It's pretty exciting. Very um, exciting time. And, you know, what does the future look like? It's better. <laughs> it's <laughs> hopefully better for everyone. Hopefully it's amazing, Shep. I'll tell you that. It will be. <laughs> well, listen, I want to I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was it was really a pleasure to hear about the book. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. Again, that's Be Amazing or Go Home and how the concept of customer loyalty can be broken down into you know, this very tangible formula and framework that's very relatable, you know, that, that, that anybody can, can follow. And so I really enjoyed our chat and I, and I, and I hope that we speak again soon. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Shep. And to all of you out there listening, keep making moves. You've been listening to the CX show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher.
For more information on how SailMove enables the world's top companies to deliver the in-person customer experience online, please visit SailMove.com.